This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barties and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. So, it's pilot time for the CW, which I'm very excited about, but it also got me thinking about, like, the first series that went forward. So, do you guys remember Runaway? Oh, I do. I didn't watch it, but I remember it. It was... I mean, I think it's uh, difficult to say what the first pilots were for the CW because we don't, I mean, going back into those archives to see like what they their first pilot season was like is probably impossible. But the first, I want to say, original series that the CW aired was um, Runaway in September 2006. It was about a family that moved from New Orleans to Iowa because they were on the run. It's It was... Um, it set a weird tone for the CW, I think. And it's no surprise that it was canceled after three episodes. It definitely sounded like there was a lot going on in it. Um, and I feel like the things have changed so much as far as the what, the what the network we know today is, or even in the middle of its eras, like when it became that teen drama hub, it just, this doesn't line up with what it eventually would become. And like, even reading that synopsis, it just, it sounds like there's so much happening in it. I'm not surprised it didn't last too long. Same. And I think it's because they were they were doing too much. It's like a family drama, but also a murder mystery because the father is trying to clear his name and then he's bringing them along with him for the ride. I was like, we're, for our first venture out, that's not probably what we should have been doing, especially when like the WB and UPN shows were like, some of them were teen dramas. There, there was like a mystery and then you had sitcoms which is why I think girlfriends the girlfriend spinoff uh the game went forward I thought that was a BT show though that's how I know that show but it did run for I think three seasons on the CW before it made the jump to that channel um so it's about Melanie Barnett who was played by um Tia Mari and she's Joan's cousin um, from girlfriends and what she did was she passed on admission to John Hopkins uh, School of Medicine to follow her boyfriend to San Diego because he was going to be a rookie player for the San Diego Sabres and then so she has to juggle her studies between like being a med student working on her relationship and then navigating this new world where there are gold diggers trying to take her position you know and be the woman by his side and that just does not thinking about where the CW is today and then where it went to, that show just doesn't seem like it fits when you think about the CW. But at the time that it was greenlit, it makes perf- it made perfect sense. Yeah, you don't see a lot of um, comedies on the CW because there aren't any anymore, no half hour comedies. And even putting it next to Runaway, the juxtaposition of this dark drama and then this fun comedy and then the rest of the CW shows, it's interesting to look back at their history and see where they started (laughs) and like it was full of acquisitions and like ones that came over from the wb or upn and you had the likes of gilmore girls and uh what were the other ones smallville supernatural and even at the time it was testing its water with wrestling and smackdown so just to see them trying something like that i i can see why it lasted longer than runaway but it still felt like it was in a state of figuring out what it wanted to be and i think that's kind of where Gossip Girl, its first major hit came in. Exactly. The iconic Gossip Girl. Like, they made the network what it is today. I think so. I mean, you could argue, of course, the Arrowverse, that's what it's known for now. But Gossip Girl was the it show for that network when it started. It set the tone. I think we've said that a lot. Gossip Girl really set the tone in a way that Runaway never could, unfortunately. No. The teen drama of it all, I think give it the keys to the kingdom because you got like the likes of the vampire diaries that would, would follow that up and that was enough of, between the, those two though they were enough of what we knew from the wb at upn that it, it, it but they also gave the cw its very own identity and i think that's kind of why they worked in the end whereas the former two didn't work quite as well yeah because it was scandalous but like in a way that <laughs> teens would respond to especially like in an era where 
um, cell phones are becoming really popular. And that's like what the communication was and blogging and people wanting to know everyone's business and what was the it girl of our school doing and why was she doing it with him? And did you hear what so-and-so said in the bathroom? Like, and if you weren't in the bathroom, we had the video for you so you can see the whole conversation. It was like a turning point for the CW. Yes. And you can see why the concept was revived now, even for HBO Max, because like we're in such like a technological edge, even even 2007 feels like such a long time ago. But, but I, I do remember 2007. I'm not that old, um, but <laughs> I feel like uh, the things like that was when this kind of like era of teen dramas, uh, which which relied on cell phones. And he said, she said, that's where that's kind of came about. And you could argue that Gossip Girl was the first of them. So it didn't just help the CW. It kind of helped the genre move, evolve into a new era. That's true. And now we are where we are when it comes <laughs> to the CW. And they're just adding more and more to um, what they're doing on the network. Though there is one show that made the hop since we were talking about the Vampire Diaries, Michael. Uh, so did you see the casting news for, I'm gonna say, I wanna say Melissa Bonois because I say it all the time, but it's Melissa Bonis is gonna start in Girls on the Bus, which started at Netflix, hopped to CW, and now has hopped to HBO Max. I don't know if I'd miss the show on the CW since it is a political drama, but I kind of wish that Melissa was still gonna be on the CW doing a show like this. Yeah, that yes. would be a fun homecoming. It really would yes. be. Um, I feel like last week we could have talked about this like a CW show. But now we kind of like talk about it, wave it goodbye to HBO Max. Um, I don't need an excuse to gush about Melissa Benoist, but we have one today. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've, I'm quite intrigued by the concept of the show, the way the fact that it follows four female journalists who follow every move of a parade of flawed presidential candidates while finding friendship, love and scandal along the way. It sounds like it could be interesting from a political standpoint, but on the other, uh, which makes it quite relevant today. But on the other hand, there's definitely that like CW drama in in the second half of that synopsis. I I didn't I didn't know much about it until it started network hopping. Um, I'm kind of glad it's crossed my path now because I do think I'd follow it just for Melissa Benoist. It's it's fun to see her. It's fun after Supergirl to see her go to play another journalist, although I I guess the the genre of this program will be a a lot different. Um, But yeah, it would have been nice on the CW, but I think being on HBO Max gives it a chance to be inherently different than what it could have been. I'm not saying the HBO Max can't do teen dramas, but I just think it might adopt a more realistic and relevant approach now that it has uh, it doesn't have to worry about the inbuilt audience of the cw i wouldn't be surprised if they aired the pilot on the cw like they didn't they do that with gossip girl yeah they did do that and they could try to connect her old audience from the cw and bring them over to hbo max but i do think um as much as we wish she would be back on the cw it's a really cool next step to see her on probably the biggest streamer of the moment, just based on the conversations their shows start. So that's really cool for her. As someone who's not even a casual fan of hers, just someone who respects her work. (laughs) I like that idea to read because it would be nice. I mean, since it was originally going to be on the CW Mm -hmm. um, for the pilot episode to run, just so that you can get the audience that she already has on the CW, that Melissa already has, and then move us on over to HBO Max. Will we be will we be turning into, I'm assuming weekly, because that's what they do. They're not like Netflix where they drop all at once, mm-hmm. which means more conversation around Melissa, which would be great online. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that like HBO Max and the CW kind of have a close partnership because of the whole Warner Brothers connection. Um, and the DC uh, uh, umbrella is a big example of that. Um, and I think having her on a show like that and then maybe like as you said yourselves rearing it on the cw for like a first tv broadcast that could be really intriguing to see how much of that audience translates because i think it, i think it's a really successful idea and it could be really successful in execution if they pulled it off right because supergirl had one of the largest inbuilt viewerships on the cw and worldwide appeals and I think that could translate to viewers for wherever Melissa goes next. So it would be really nice to see a kind of homecoming that isn't a homecoming and like a second earring on the network. Okay, well, fingers crossed. I'm holding out for it because I would love to see it. Uh, but too. that wasn't 
the only casting news we got. We got so much casting news um, since the last time we uh, did the podcast. So there's also Tom Swift news. Like They've rounded out their uh, series regulars, which means we're getting closer to the show launching. And again, I think it's coming in the fall. They haven't announced it, but that's where my mind is at. But to see, we have uh, Marquise Filson, Abel Parker-Jones, and Albert, I believe it's pronounced Wangi, um, who are going to be in the show. Uh, Marquise is going to play Isaac Vega, who's Tom's bodyguard, who has feelings for him. And Isaac is trans, pansexual, and described as a consummate badass. But he doesn't let his feelings for Tom get in the way of doing his duties. Uh, I love that too. And he's not the only love interest. Tom is going to be out here like with another one. There, uh, Mawang is going, I'm sorry, Mawangi is going to play Rowan. Um, He is a part of the security detail of for a congressman that Tom knows. And he has a past that he's hiding. So we've got loyalty on one side with Isaac, and then we have Rowan. So there's mystery. You're getting a little both in the romantic department. The more I hear about the show, the more excited I get. And I don't know why, because I don't even, sorry, Drew Crew, but I haven't gotten into Nancy Drew yet. <laughs> but the more I hear about Tom Swift, the more I'm like, I'm going to be watching this. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I didn't, I remember when the idea was first commissioned and everyone kind of excited about it, but then it's been so long since we've heard anything about it. And now it feels like the news is slowly starting to roll back through with the Ashley Marie casting and now this. Um, and I'm I'm very excited for it. I, I will also admit I haven't watched Nancy Drew. I thought the trailers looked interesting, um, but I haven't actually seen any of the show. But as a standalone, I think this could work. And I'd really be interested in checking it out. I would be too. So I'm in the same boat with you guys, especially with, you have the romantic department and then you have what's going on with his mom. Um, April Parker Jones is going to play Lorraine, who's described as being kind-hearted and she's like of royalty amongst the debutante circle. And she's very close to Tom, but when his father disappears, that relationship starts to fracture. And I'm intrigued to know why, like, what is it? Besides, of course, grief that um, is causing their relationship to deteriorate. I don't know if it's just because he's gonna be running off trying to see what happened to him and he's leaving her alone to deal with uh, what's going on at home or if there's something that she may be hiding that he doesn't know about. I'm sure there is. Cause I, even though I haven't watched Nancy Drew, I know I just read about it cause it's so interesting to me. <laughs> so I know everything that's happened pretty much. And just going off of the parental situations on that show, I think if they follow in the footsteps, we'll have some Pretty good drama. Some nice character drama. That's what we like to see on CW. <laughs> it Some plot <is>. twists. <laughs> it's the bread and butter of the network. It's immediately what gets you hooked to these shows. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> exactly. But speaking of drama, All-American season four is going to college. Like as we're moving forward and we have a new casting for Christian James who's going to play Wade Waters. And he looks like he's going to be a villain. Um, his character is an arrogant quarterback for Golden Angeles University, and he particularly likes to haze the freshman. So we're going to be doing a bullying storyline on All-American. You know, don't love that for whoever is going to be hazed. Um, but it seems like it could be a fun new character. I don't know. What do you think, Sabrina? It's your show. You I love think- that show. Oh, Golden Angeles University is where Spencer is going to go, which he is, he puts his S on his chest. He puts his cape on at all times, even when it's not what's best for him. So if there is a quarterback who is doing freshman wrong, Spencer's going to be the man who gets in his way. So I believe we're going to be coming to some, if not blows, verbal altercations, at least, um, as Spencer once again gets a team together and treats it teaches them about dignity, honor, community, and supporting your team. So I'm there for that. Wade can go on somewhere though. Like if you have a scholarship, I hope you lose it. I hope you leave the university, like work on yourself. I don't know what you need to do, but do it. Your description of Spencer reminded me a lot of somebody else that we know and love, Archie. (laughs) 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 But Spencer has a better head on his shoulders. You and that cat Spencer with a machete attacking yeah. someone in a school hallway but no 
I could I could see it. I don't know how the All American fans are going to feel about that, but I could see it. <laughs> Let's just hope Spencer doesn't fight a bear. <laughs> exactly. And they talk about it for the next three seasons. <laughs> Randomly, but at, yeah. at the worst intervals ever. Exactly. Just you guys know I got hit hit, hit by a bear. Like I fought a bear, you guys. It happened. His scars are Harris. Not to go into Archie bear situation but his scars are gone did you guys notice that? yes i did notice that. Oh, i didn't notice that <laughs> the time the makeup was people are probably that. like we're not doing this anymore we're over it <laughs> that sounds like someone read a post where they're like every seven years you get new skin so we're just going to pretend <laughs> that all the skin is new and he has no more scars i'm surprised the they haven't just let kj have his tattoos <laughs> <laughs> it will come the next time jump will alive for that <laughs> It's true. Oh God, how far could they possibly jump next? But anyway, sorry, because we'll end up on a Riverdale tangent and like whole episode just Riverdale. Um, it's coming. It's definitely coming, but it can't be today. Stay tuned. Yes, stay tuned. Okay, last casting bit news. Uh, but so they have gotten a partner for Walker. Now, I'm going to admit, I don't watch this show. All I know is that Ashley Reyes is going to play Cassie Perez, who is described as being quick, unconventional, and uncensored, which sounds to me like she's going to be a thorn in Walker's side, but he may just need that. Uh, To remind folks, because I only know this because I do follow news about Lindsay Morgan, she left the show. She was his original partner. And so uh, Ashley will be stepping in to fill a different role in that capacity. Good for her. Yeah, I think that's kind of what the show might need because when you spend so long focused on one character, the sudden departure of them can cause issues narrative-wise. Um, and because maybe they weren't planning for that, I feel like the show does, hasn't had as much like buzz lately. So maybe another lead could work with that. Um, it'll, it'll be an interesting situation, but if it works anything like when uh, Javizia Leslie stepped in for Batwoman, it could, it could reinvigorate the show because I know... Uh, the new lead female is not the title character, but it will still be an interesting place for them to go that they didn't have before. And I feel like I don't watch Walker, but a lot of the trailers look like it's stuck in the same place. So maybe it'll give us something new to talk about. True, because like, dynamics can change and you add yeah. something to it. I feel like something that we've gotten away from in modern TV is like normalizing the introduction of like a random new character in like the second season. I feel like there are so many shows where like back in the day in the 2000s, like the OCs in the One Tree Hills where they would just like season two, hear these new characters, they come out of nowhere, they're stirring the pot, everyone hates them, but they're fun to watch. And I'm not saying that this Ashley Reyes, Cassie character on Walker is going to be that situation, like a hated character. But I think we need to get back to like bringing in a couple new recurring characters and be fun and they just come out of nowhere and you don't expect them but they're they breathe new life into the show i agree reed because when you said that i immediately thought about nikki and i believe she came in season one of one tree hill but doesn't she just show up on a carousel and like this yeah instant drama yeah she and lucas have a thing this is one tree hill break um she and lucas have a thing and then we find out that she's jake's um baby mama and it's just a whole mess of layers and i don't know i i miss that kind of like oh well that person's here and they're pretty important now i love that and they're important switch up the dynamic. yeah it can switch up the dynamic and i think that like it adds something to it as well because i it makes the other characters usually you get unveiling about backstories that you didn't know about and also they treat it they used to treat those recurring characters i don't want to and i'm just gonna say it with respect as in like they get their their own storylines and you understand where they're coming from and how they fit into the story for the other characters. Now I feel like they're reoccurring characters, but they're one dimensional and they're kind of just there to be someone's support or someone's antagonist, but there's rarely layers to them. um, And they're just there to be obstacles. And I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like a lot of modern CW shows particularly fall fall victim to that. In Riverdale, these characters are brought in just to like as uh, signing boards for other main characters. You can have like a whole funeral episode devoted to a character we've never met, but apparently everybody knew them. I don't. I just think that can really impact how how you care about the story. And like some of the superhero shows, for example, would bring in recurring superheroes who are literally there to stand and wear a mask, support the main hero. 
look at that class epic super friend shot and we know nothing about who they are under the mask. And I think that can really impact how much you care about the story and more importantly, the character in the background. It would be really nice if they like fully invested in bringing in a brand new character, be it recurring guest or even men and like give them the same, well, maybe not the same, but like something similar to what the original main cast got so that you can accept them just like you accepted the original main cast. I concur, Michael. Agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but so Cassie Perez, uh, the character, is going to be making her debut in episode 10 of season two. It's called Nudge. So uh, if you're a Walker fan, that's when you will see her make her debut. Uh, but speaking of like fans of anything, really, so The Vampire Diaries is not leaving Netflix in March. Even though that's what we, it is a curveball out of nowhere. We know the deals, like we're, we expect the shows that have fell under that Netflix deal to show up a week after their televised finales. And then we knew that they were leaving, what was it, five years after their series finales. Mm -hmm. And it's been this countdown. Everyone's been like, when's Vampire Diaries leaving Netflix? Where is it going to go? Because that's like, ever since it ended, I feel like Vampire Diaries has maintained its popularity. Like in, grown on it but to hear that it's not leaving it's like so what I, I don't I don't know I'm speechless <laughs> I feel like our show's definitely got like nine lives when it comes to Netflix because to use a UK example it was on the UK Netflix for year, years maintained its popularity over here as well and then uh, it was removed as every show comes and goes but there was such an outcry that it resurfaced on Netflix years or months after that. And it's stuck around on Netflix ever since. So I just feel like that show seems to have like a hold over Netflix. And I don't know if Netflix ever really willingly ever want to let it go. I'm sure it'll happen in different territory some days, but it just, it, it feels like it's destined to be on Netflix forever at this point. It does. And I'm not, I'm not mad at that, but it is giving fans with Lash. Cause it's like, okay, we're gearing up. It's going to be departing. Oh wait, it's not departing, but you're also not saying that how long it's going to be staying on Netflix. Just stay tuned, like stay tuned to what? Stay tuned to departure, stay tuned to an actual date when it's going to leave, stay tuned to a random leaving. And then it pops on to HBO Max. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to assume it'll pop on to HBO Max someday with some fanfare, but as far as like fans who want to continue to watch, like binge watch their favorite show, heads up would be great. And not heads up that's like yanked yeah. <laughs> right, right into your view. Yeah, I feel like there'll be a lot of binge watching towards the end and then they find out it's not the end. So then they'll either have rushed through the season or they'll be thankful they have more time left before they have to rush through the season again. <laughs> that's really true. But it's still on Netflix, you guys. So if you want to binge, slow binge for now, you can. Um, and then our last piece of news, which is very exciting because I think scholarship news whenever is exciting because it really helps people continue their education. But Warner Brothers Television Group is partnering with the NAACP to create the WTVG All-American Homecoming Grand Slam Scholarship which is a mouthful to say, but it's $100,000 in grants that will be awarded to 10 students. So it's $10,000 per scholarships. And those are gonna to go to students who are pursuing a degree at an HBCU. And this is the first time that the studio has ever done this with the NAACP. That's amazing. It really is. And I feel like using a show like All American Homecoming as well to like yeah. push it. I think that, I just think that's incredible because having watched All American Homecoming, I feel like, that show is at its core is about people like following their dreams. So to, to partner with the, with the NAACP on this is just, I think it's fantastic. I do too, especially because like for people who really need it, the scholarship, like this is going to make the difference of how long they have to stay in school potentially, or just like the ease with which they can continue to earn their degree. So I'm excited for whoever um, wins the scholarships. Yeah. And it's 10 people like that's, even if it was just one, that would be amazing. But 10, is, that's 10 lives changed. It's amazing. Incredible. That's why I'm happy we're ending the, the yeah. news section on it because like, yes, some fanfare, no disappointment <laughs> with, yeah. with the news um, or drama. So that's great. But we are actually going to talk about drama now, but only in the sense that it, because it's pilot season, you know, 
we might have some controversial takes on what should go forward. Um, if you've listened to the first episode of this podcast, you know we're not exactly a fan of Walker Independence moving forward, but it is one of the pilots on order, so we are going to talk about it. <laughs> Let's do that. Okay, so do we think this is one of the series that's going to go forward on the network? I think it's complicated. I think it has a good chance because it has a, a successful um, successor, right? Or predecessor? I don't know. Which, which I think part. it's both. Maybe no, it's predecessor. Know. It's predecessor. You know what I mean. Um, yes. <laughs> but I do feel like this one has an opportunity to maybe maybe move to a different streamer. Maybe this is one that we see go to HBO Max. I don't know. Is Walker even on HBO Max? That's probably some research that I probably should have done before talking about that. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I think it, this one out of all of the, the three that we're going to talk about in the pilot stage is the one that I'm kind of like, this could go either way depending on how it's tested. Yeah, I feel the same because it's got a connection to something that's really successful on the network. I think Walker is like the second most watched show of the season so far. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the most watched last season. So clearly people are tuning in for that. We we have our reasons or beliefs why people are tuning in. So I'm not sure if the spinoff will garner as much interest unless it has a similar kind of fanfare about it. I feel like the network is continually trying to arrow versus other series and that it's franchising out with other programs. Of, of course, maybe we should use the original example of the Vampire Diaries. Like it was, it was, a, it was a thing back in the day. And of course it still exists now through legacies. Um, Arrowverse that that's been uh, talked about many, many times. I'm not sure it'll ever die. Um, and then you have the supernatural franchises yet again, trying to get back into the game and I feel like I miss All America. There's the one. Um, now the franchise in it out as well. So I feel like they've picked their most successful standalone show as far as viewership goes to try to franchise that. I'm not sure it'll have the same impact that the likes of like All America and, and the Arrowverse shows have had in, in building this kind of successful franchise. But I do think there's a good chance it could go ahead because like I said, it's, it might be a risk worth taking. I could definitely see it moving to the next few stages, at least. I agree, but I agree tentatively. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because, like, personal opinion, I don't think that the CW should invest in a period piece that's set in the 1800s. And it's not because I don't think a Western can be successful on the show. I think that they're not going to give it the budget that it needs um, or the program that it needs. And I just... Like, if you're going to do a period piece, why go all the way back to the 1800s? Like, you already know we're going to be out here with the horses and the buggies and the training <laughs> and uh, the desert dirt. Like, even if the premise was better, uh, the premise is that Abby Walker's husband dies. She's a fluent Bostonian who then travels um, and she meets Hoyt Rollins and they end up in Independence, Texas, where they meet a, like, a diverse group of people um, trying to make it in the West. Like, it. It feels kind of a little hokey, but also with the mystery at the middle of it. And I just, I'm just like, I don't know if, if the CW is the network to balance that, especially, and I've said this before, I'm gonna continue to say it when beat this, beat this part home, because I think it's true. It's gonna get compared to 1883 on Paramount Plus. And it's yeah. not gonna stand up to, to that show because it's on the CW and they do not have the same budgets. Like it's just not going to happen. So let's not do that. Yeah, it kind of seems like the CW is kind of like looking at Paramount Plus's paper and like, we could, could we do that too? Maybe we can get in on that. <laughs> and I don't think it's the greatest idea. And I also think the title's kind of weak. Mm -hmm. I don't know if throwing Walker in there is really necessary. I don't know. But I know we talked about this a little bit um, before, but which actress, if she was casted, would you be like, Oh, oh, fine. I will watch Walker Independence. Who is that for you? Uh, it's Erica Dorrance because I loved her as Lois Lane in Smallville. And I think that she would bring the kind of 
fun and feistiness and fierceness that Abby Walker needs. I mean, if she's going to be a woman who's got to figure out like what happened to her husband, but somehow we're doing that in a completely different state. And she's going to be with a rough, tumbling, wandering man. And the two of them are, are figuring out what Independence Texas is all about. Then it'd be Erica for me. I will, at least, I'm going to watch the pilot anyway, but I would at least give it three episodes for Erica. Love that choice for you. I think that that would be awesome. I would tune in for that as well. Best Lois Lane ever. Um, if you know me, you know I prob- might already probably already know my choice and I would probably pick Katie Cassidy because uh, I've loved watching her on Arrow over the years, on Supernatural over the years. She's a CW vet like Erica and then I could see them reaching out to try to have a similar kind of approach to what they did with Walker for like getting Jared Padalecki uh, to lead the show. I would, I would, I would absolutely tune. And don't get me wrong, I'd still like to, as you'll know later, see her lead Green Arrow in the Canaries, and we'll talk about that later. But um, I feel like that would get me to tune in. She's, she's been in plenty of CW dramas, and I feel like not all of them were given their worth, and this one might be. So I would definitely tune in to see her. I have three guys. Cool. Go for okay. it. I, know, I couldn't decide because I was like, oh, these are all so good, and I love both of your choices. Um, so my first one is like the biggest long shot ever, Nina Dobrev. I think we aim high for Nina for a CW comeback. Don't think that's the space she's in right now, but you know, just had to throw that out there just in case. Um, also one that I, I thought of it and I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I should be in casting. Hillary Burton Morgan from One Tree Hill, Peyton Sawyer. Mm. I think she's, you know, she lives on a ranch now. She's very like, you know, outdoorsy, always got the cowboy hat. I think that would be like a perfect role for her. Also not sure if she's looking to get back into the like (laughs) episodic television space. But my last one and probably the most, um, I don't think a lot of people will maybe agree with me, but Jessica Strout from 90210. I think she was also in Iron Fist. Anybody? The name um, says, I think so. She was silver in 90210, and I ugh, I just want to see her back on the CW and leading a show. I would watch it for her because she was my favorite on 90210. I like all of those picks, Reed. Um, well, I'd have to tune into Miss Jessica. I'll have to look her up. Uh, but as far as Nina, she actually did a period piece set in the West in the 1800s. Like recently, it was a movie, and I wish I remember the title, but now I kind of really, really want Nina because you, you reminded me of that movie. And I was like, yes, let it be Nina. She came up on my uh, list as well when I was thinking because she did the period parts of the Vampire Diaries, of course, set in 1864. Um so I could definitely see her channeling that Catherine Pierce again for uh, Walker Independence. Now I want it. <laughs> Make it happen, CW. Dreamcast. Mila, come back. <laughs> so now on to a pilot that we actually are excited for. Um, Cotham Knights. Do we think that we are going to get more of the Bat Fam on the CW? I think this feels like a dead cert. But on the other hand, we've thought that about Green Arrow and the Canaries, Painkiller, Wonder Girl, which literally never saw the light of day. I think they're being more clever when they pick what shows they want to be. I say clever. I don't think it was clever. Um, But I think with the whole uncertainty surrounding the future of the CW, we could see them going forward on this one because the idea of a Batman drama, it's like, it's very hard to, for any network on TV to get the ratings or viewership they used to get. But occasionally you have a pilot or a show that does generate similar kind of buzz. In previous years for the CW, it was Superman at Lois pilot, the Batwoman pilot and the Walker pilot. They got high numbers that we would have seen back in some of the older days at the CW. And I think if the network ever hopes to achieve some numbers like that again, which if it is moving more into the TV game and less into the streaming game, it's going to need, I think, a Batman-centric, Bat family drama like Gotham Knights is the way to make it happen. I'm of two minds about Gotham Knights. I can see it where it's like an easy win, right? Like they know how to do these shows. They can, you know, go full steam ahead on it. But I can also see where it's kind of a tall order. You want to get this right. There's a built-in fan base. And 
Um, you don't want to rush something like this. Ironically, for me personally, it's the pilot that I hope goes through the most. It's the one that I'm most interested in, even though <laughs> you guys know the superhero shows aren't really um, what I gravitate towards. But again, I guess I can see it go um, either way, but I do think this one has the best chance, maybe. I agree. Um, I like, and it's not just because I really want to see it, but I also superhero television lives on the CW. It will for a long time. I know HBO Max is gearing up uh, their own side of DC TV, but for right now, it's the CW. And I think this could work really well um, on the network. My only, not qualm, but like, I'm unsure it's an ensemble. Like, yeah, it'll be led by um, as Batman's adopted son, but it sounds like it's going to be an ensemble cast in most of, of the shows while they're ensembles, they have a real main lead. And then the name of the show is based on that lead. And so with um, Gotham Knights, can we juggle an ensemble cast and do it well? I think Airverse kind of struggles with that. And while that's not, this may not be in the Airverse, it's still DCTV on the CW. And we've all seen how they can be hit or miss for some seasons when it comes to how they balance their casting. That's a very good point. I feel like shows like Supergirl and The Flash struggled when they branched out into the multi-superheroes. Arrow did the same thing as well. It's like, we used to be about the Green Arrow, but these days we're about Team Arrow. And all the rest of them are just sounding boards for Oliver Queen who nod and like make this mistake so they can learn from him or teach him this lesson. And those characters never really truly get the chance to shine. I think the only real example of them doing it successfully was Legends of Tomorrow. And it is an ensemble show. There are multiple episodes devoted to this character, that character, or all of the characters together. Yes, you have the plot device of halfway through the season to write out the two main characters so that the rest of them can shine and then bring them back later on. But I feel like if it was going to follow in any footsteps as far as ensemble goes, Gotham Knight should follow Legends of Tomorrow because I think every other Arrowverse show has struggled to make multiple superheroes work in one show. I hope it goes forward. We hope it goes forward. I know I'll be watching. Even if the pilot's not good, I will be watching because I'll be giving my support because it can be, it sounds like it could be a grower. Um, I'm not sure though whether or not I'd be tuning into the Winchesters if it gets a series order. What do you guys think about this Supernatural spinoff series in development? To be honest, I'm not thinking much about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of feels like they're going too far back to like old hits to be like, oh, remember this? Will you guys tune into this? You love Supernatural. Here's more of it. And I don't know. I don't have an answer to this question, but I just wonder, has the time lapsed? Has the window closed on trying to continue Supernatural? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want it to happen for the fans. I think it would be amazing. And if it, if they can execute whatever the spinoff is going to be or prequel, well, I think it would be great for fans. But I don't know if it's the best move to um, get a broader audience onto the network and onto its shows. Like this is a very like specific show, I feel. I'm in the same boat as that because it's kind of the same thing as walker and that it feels like they're trying to franchise another franchise um this should have worked by now because they've tried to spin supernatural off so many times and it should be one of the ones leading the charge of franchises on the cw but it has yet to happen i do agree that if this doesn't work they should just let it lie for a while because supernatural has had so many offshoots that were that never were so i hate to say we don't need another one but if this doesn't go ahead that's exactly what it's going to be um I think it stands a better chance than the previous pilots they've tried to spin off. But it does kind of feel like the ship has sailed. But that being said, I still, I want it for the fans, even if I don't particularly need it for myself. And I say that as a former, or as a fan of the first nine seasons. Yeah, do the fans even want it? That's a that's a great question. Do the fans want that? <laughs> that is a great question, actually. We'll have to look, because they may not. Um, I mean... It is about John and Mary. So, and, I, and again, I don't watch Supernatural. I haven't watched it. So I don't know how much of a fan base they have, like just as characters, but uh, the Supernatural fandom could be done. They could like just want to 
let the story lie, no more spinoffs, at least for a while. I think you're right, reading Michael, about there being a particular window that you have to execute a spinoff in. And after a while, that window will close and it just may not be a good idea to try to revigorate something that is not long dead, but has been laid to rest. Yeah, and even if this doesn't go through, give them like 10 years and we'll have another show called Supernatural on the CW. (laughs) (laughs) It will join the CW reboot list. Yes, yes, it will. Um, Or, you know, die on the way there as some of the the shows that got really buzzy did uh, when they were announced and then sort of petered off. There are like at least three on my mind. Let's start with Powerpuff, which is currently in limbo. I mean, I feel like everyone knows that Powerpuff Girls is getting a live action adaptation on the CW, but just in case you don't, Powerpuff Girls is getting a live action adaptation on the CW, or at least it seems like it's going to be. And it was in, I was up for pilot um, last year and the pilot script leaked and it was not good. Um, And those pictures. Mm. Remember that? I'm still of the mind, though, that that had, I'm like, these are struggling late 20-somethings who were previously superheroes. If they're struggling, perhaps they were doing a commercial that capitalized on their childhood. That's the only way I could explain those sheath dresses and, like, what was that? Like, not thigh highs. They were um, calf high socks with the Mary Janes. Like, we can allude to the source material, but we don't have to allude that way. Like, we don't have to homage and give honor to those outfits. They were five on, in the cartoon. The 20-somethings don't have to wear that. In defense of Powerpuff and the leaked script and the photos, I will say it's hard to judge something we haven't seen based on just the page and leaked photos because we didn't see their performances. We didn't see the tone in action. And I know... The dialogue was kind of cringy, but we didn't see how that amounted to the tone of the show. It seemed like it was going to be very quirky and like maybe satirical question mark. At least it was going to be ironic. I don't know. I'm interested to see what they do with it just based on the cast. Because, you know, Dove Cameron's really popular and I think it would be a great opportunity for her to be on the CW for the first time. So that's where I, I defend Powerpuff, but cautiously. I can see where you're coming from because (laughs) I will admit I was one of the guilty ones. I'm not sure there were any non-guilty ones, but we'll we'll leave it at that. I was one of the guilty ones who read the tweets and the script and thought, yikes. But like if someone showed you a script of Riverdale, it probably wouldn't look Emmy worthy either. It's sometimes to do with how it's delivered. So yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I, I definitely keep an open mind that script might not exist anymore if they really do go back to the drawing board and decide to start again. Um, And it's an interesting thing because like as a fan of comic book adaptations, everyone's always like, this isn't comic accurate, that isn't comic accurate. But then sometimes when the TV shows adapt things comic accurate, you're like, why did they go for that? And that's kind of what I got from the Powerpuff Girls set photos. I was like, we don't need to be this cartoon accurate because they're adults now. But like, again, it could have, they could have been shooting a commercial capitalizing on their childhood. It could have been a, a strange, weird flashback. We don't know the context of those photos, so I'm open to keeping an open mind. But I do feel like this show has a bit of a so bad it'll be good reputation about it already. And it, that kind of makes me want it to go forward just so I can see what it's like. Will it be good in its own right or will it be good because it's so bad? Yeah, they're going to need to bounce back pretty hard from that <laughs> initial reaction like they're gonna have to come back and have it all figured out like they're they're not gonna have space to um you know be a grower they're gonna have to arrive knowing what they are knowing what they're doing and being able to connect to some sort of fan base maybe the Riverdale fandom will be welcoming to something that's <laughs> a little crazy <laughs> maybe I mean they, uh, you're right Reed though because they fell on their face publicly like and it was not like that as a leaked script, it wasn't something that people like that they wanted people to see. They had it's every rough. intention, yeah, on retooling it. And so, like, to get that amount of backlash, even though it was deserved, um, to have to go back to the drawing board and, and figure it all out like this with the added pressure of everyone now looking to you 
to see whether or not you were actually going to fix this. And having lost your lead, your big draw, Chloe Bennett, who left, she was yeah. playing Blossom, and now she's gone. You don't have a draw. I mean, there's Dove Cameron, um, and she'll bring a bit of the Disney audience, but she wouldn't. She's not going to bring the pool that Chloe Bennett would have. So it's not dead in the water, but it may get dropped. I want, personally, I wanted to see Powerpuff. I wanted to give it a chance. I love live action adaptations of things um, because I think there are diamonds in the rough. I think that there are, there are shows that have done amazing when they've gone for live action adaptations. And of course there are some duds and Powerpuff might be a dud, but I want to actually be able to give it a chance as a viewer to have an opinion on it outside of what we've seen thus far. But there was a, um, a show that I think a lot of people wanted uh, and that didn't go forward. And Michael, you were leading the charge for uh, Green Arrow and the Canaros. Still, you're right, still Reed, is. still doing it um, <laughs> for it to go forward because it should have. I mean, if there's to make an argument for a show that sh- whose backdoor pilot episode proved that it would have been successful, it's that show. Yes, here we go. The rant we've been waiting for. Um, the fact is, like, if you're going to spin off the originator of a shared universe, like Arrow's had a lot of offshoots over the years, but it never really had a direct spin off. Supergirl and the Flash and Legends were not directly related to it, even if those characters did appear in it. Arrow was going to bow out, and by doing so, it was going to leave a little something behind in Green Arrow and the Canaries. It would have been set 20 years in the future after Oliver Queen saved the multiverse, and the, everything would have been safe in Star City for 20 years. Don't know how that happened, but like apparently that's how it worked. And Mia, Mia Queen, Oliver and Felicity's daughter, was going to be living a happy life, unlike the one pre-crisis we saw. She was going to be living a happy life until the two Canaries from the present showed up in the future, reminded her of what her life was like pre-crisis. So she suddenly teams up with them, becoming the new Green Arrow, following in her father's footsteps. And that thus Green Arrow and the Canaries would have been born. It would have been a really unique dynamic because the original female lead of Arrow, Kitty Cassidy, would have been reprising her role as the second Laurel, evil Laurel, who's now a hero. So Black Siren turned to Black Canary. And the, the other Black Canary would have also been reprising her role. Dinah, Juliana Harkavy would have been playing Dinah Drake. And it erred after Crisis. And aside from Arrow's installment of Crisis, it was the most watched episode of Arrow's final season, pulling in almost 1 million viewers, which is the closest the final season got to it. It received a highly positive response. People who didn't warm to Mia at the start really warmed to this new version of Mia. They were very happy to see Laurel finally get a center stage and Dinah, who had been overlooked for a long time as well. It was similar to Arrow, but incredibly different. And it could have been something different for the Arrowverse. And since Arrow's final season spent eight, nine episodes building towards that, the fact that it didn't go ahead with so much fanfare behind it just feels like such a missed opportunity. And I feel like the Arrowverse kind of died a little bit when that didn't happen because this show was literally the future of the Arrowverse and it made it look like the CW wasn't willing to invest in the future of the Arrowverse. And now we've all, all we've got now are these four shows living on no Supergirl, no Black Lightning, no Arrow. We just have these four remaining Arrow shows living on, doing their own thing. They're not interconnected anymore. And I feel like Green Arrow and the Canaries might have been that small thread to keep them together because it was a direct relation of Arrow. So the fact that it didn't go ahead when there was so much going for it, and I know they've used the pandemic as an excuse, I do understand that, but off all the spin-offs they had in development, including the 100 prequel that nobody really wanted, Uh, I feel like this could have been the one that could have worked. So for them not to go for it and then ultimately turn their back on the other spin-offs they had in development anyway, it just felt like that whole year, that whole pilot season was just a waste of time and it killed what could have been one of the more intriguing Arrowverse shows. Y'all, that's been living inside Michael for so long. (laughs) It's not, it's going to continue. (laughs) I, I think they vastly underestimated the power of women in the Arrowverse. Like that's, but also, wait, I have a question. So you said it's going to be 20 years in the future. How are they going to get away with Katie Cassidy being in it? Because God, she's played so many characters. Um, uh, So she was the original Black Canary, but she died. Then she came in as Black Siren, who then became Black Canary, who is Laurel's evil Earth 2 doppelganger. But um, 
So Black Siren became Black Canary. The second half Arrow was all about her redemption. And uh, she was more closer to the comic book Black Canary because she actually had the super powered Canary Cry. But uh, after Crisis, a crisis wiped out Earth 2. So she had no more home. So she had to live on Earth 1 after that. Um, so she took the place of the original Laurel. Everybody else on Earth 1 thinks she's still Laurel, the original Laurel. But um, after Crisis happened, she then went to the future with Dinah. The two canaries in the present went to the future. So they jumped 20 years into the future. They left the present behind. Ah. So that's why they both look young. Because not to make it very confusing, in one of the original timelines, Laurel did show up, but she was old in 2040. In this one, she skipped all of that out and decided to jump straight to 2040. So uh, the two canaries are young, while Mia is young as well. So the three of them are the same age as they were on Arrow. They did a lot of rewrites. And the fact that the show didn't go ahead now, with those characters now stuck in a future we're never going to see, it just feels like there was so much story to tell and it was such a missed opportunity. Yeah. And they crafted it so well because it worked. Like, I feel like the backdoor pilot really drew you in. Not to mention they left it on a cliffhanger that they now have to figure out how to work into the Arrowverse shows and they're not doing it successfully because when Mia came back to uh, The Flash to search for her brother, um, the storyline was there, it fell flat, and then she was gone again. And I was like, okay, but when are you going to complete her story? Because you left her hanging. Yeah, and seeing her on her own in the Green Arrow suit, it it reminded me. Of course, I, I, you all know I like I want to see Black Canary, but like it reminded me that see, she could have been such a unique character on her own, and and the fact that they, they did make references to it that William was still missing, that she had the the arrow that shot out a sound that sounded like the two canary cries mixed together as a, a tribute to the two canaries. So it just. There was a lot there untouched, and I feel like they might come back to it someday. But we now know that Juliana Harkovy, who played the other Black Canary, has now been cast in the lead of an ABC LA Law pilot. So I feel like the show's come and gone, and the Arrowverse has not yet moved on from it. And it just feels, I'm going to keep saying it, it just feels like such a missed opportunity. Probably won't be the last time I say it on this episode, but we'll, we'll come to that later. <laughs> I agree. And then, Reid, you had said it seemed like they didn't want to make the future of the Arrowverse female, um, or at least they bypassed it. And I would say that's accurate. I mean, it seemed like after when the crisis happened, um, they were gearing up. We had um, Supergirl and Batwoman seemed like they were going to be like the new Superbat and we were going to they were going to replace Barry and Oliver when it comes to the two um, men who were leading the Arabist now be two women. And then with Mia taking on the mantle of her father, it seemed like she, like, like you said, Michael, she'd be the future. Like this is how the Arabist would move forward. And they were like, huh, JK, <laughs> like we put out all this information about how we were going to do this and we're actually not going to do that. And to be fair, in terms of Superbat, um, Ruby Rose did leave Batwoman and then Supergirl did end up having its final season. So we they had to pivot, but that does not explain Mia. And it doesn't explain why we couldn't have changed the direction of the Arrowverse because now it seems like, and I'm not complaining about it because I like I do enjoy this show. It seems like Superman and Lois is the future of of the Arrowverse, even though it's only slightly linked since we refuse to bring up Kara. Um, and that is the direction that they're going to be going in with DC TV if they ever do start crossing over more shows because it's not it's not quite clear that Naomi will be doing that, even though they have name dropped some. Um, Arrowverse, like iconic places in the show. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's a missed opportunity. Speaking of missed opportunities, I don't think this might have been one. It's Painkiller, which would have been the spinoff series for Black Lightning. Not that his character wasn't enjoyable, but that's not where I saw a spinoff for Black Lightning going. That took me by surprise. I didn't think they would do a whole thing on Painkiller. I mean, I guess they didn't, but like the fact that they had the idea to do that. Um, Blew my mind. That to me, I, I I would have been excited to see the show. And I know someone who watched Black Lightning a great deal and who wasn't sure about the spinoff. But when they got the backdoor pilot, they were like, oh, hold on a minute. They've reinvented everything. This seems really, really fun. But so while I definitely could have been open to checking that show out, I feel like that whole half a year period where you were waiting on that was just an utter waste of time because when they weren't willing to invest it for Arrow through a backdoor pilot for a spinoff, 
Black Lightning was their lesser watch, least watched show. It had been cut short. It was not supposed to end with his fourth season. It had been cut short. So to waste, no, no, no I don't want to say waste because I think apparently it was a really fantastic episode. But to waste the time building up another backdoor pilot and character just for the CW to go, yeah, nah. Again, it just felt like history had repeated itself. And the Black Lightning fans deserve better than getting their hopes up like all the Arrow fans did because Arrow was among the more watched shows and its backdoor pilot didn't get picked up. Its backdoor pilot was watched by 600,000 more people than the Black Lightning backdoor pilot. So it was just, it felt like a waste of time. I would, I think that character could work well in Legends of Tomorrow. I would like to see that character again, just like I'd like to see it, like, like, like I would like to see all of the Arrow characters again. I just think investing the time and money in a backdoor pilot that on a lot of people expect it not to get picked up and then making us wait ages before they have inevitably announced, yeah, nah, it just felt like a waste of time to me. And it could have went ahead, which is why it's such a shame that it didn't. So like 20, that was that 2020, 2020 was not a good year for, mm-hmm. um, for the CW and pilots. I mean, no, hopefully all- this year is better though. <laughs> all that wet. <laughs> So that's it for the shows that are, um, well, that were in development and were quite buzzy. There are a lot of other shows in development that um, have dropped, but we're going to save those for another time because there's a lot. The CW is trying to find a new direction for itself, it seems, and it it looks to be that it's mostly female-centered dramas and a few ensemble casts that are female-led, but again, we'll talk about that at another time. What I really, really want to talk about, though, is what we're watching on the CW, starting with All American Homecoming, because, again, I'm not going to show up about this show. Um, what did you guys think about the premiere episode? I thought it was great, well done, a good way to to establish a spinoff as its own, you know, own identity, its own thing. Personally, I don't know if it's something that I would continue watching. I will. I'm going to give it the four-episode test. That's my tried and true method. I do four episodes and if I still I'm like hooked, I keep going. And if I'm not, I'm like, we will consciously part amicably and good luck on your journey. Um, it was just a lot of sports for me, guys. Like I, <laughs> in the sports scenes, I was kind of like drifting and I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on with tennis and baseball. I don't, it was just a lot, but I thought all the characters and all of the twists were so well done. And I like the college shift for the CW. Like we haven't seen that in a while. And I'm, I like that. I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Um, I feel like the sports stuff, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> um, I, I know, I know very little about my own sports over here, <laughs> let alone American sports, but um, I feel like the character drama was excellent. It really did a good job of getting me engaged in who these people are. Cause I didn't watch all American that much. I only seen parts of the first episodes. Um, so I think that was a good thing. I, had a blast watching it. I will definitely keep with it for now. I hope the sports stuff doesn't overwhelm me, but um, I'm definitely on board with these character stories and I had a really good time watching it. I'm happy that you guys enjoyed it, but it is funny though that you're both saying that like the sports a bit too much for me because in my review, I said not enough sports. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. And for me, any sports is too much sports. So you know, don't really go off my word, but I did enjoy it. And I didn't feel like I was missing anything from having not watched All American. I know they kind of did like a, here's what was going on before to like kind of get us up to speed, but I didn't feel like I needed, you know, four and a half seasons of backstory or three Mm -hmm. and a half, sorry. That's the true test of a spinoff series, whether or not like you can get like people who are just going to watch that series hooked without telling them like, you know, actually you're going to need like, like you said, three and a half seasons of backstory yeah. in order to understand this one show. Cause it's a turnoff. So that the all American homecoming being able to just like hook an audience immediately and just give you a little bit of like the cliff notes version of what Simone went through in all American is great. I think they did a solid job now establishing the characters. Um, like I said, I had no backstory and I was like totally hooked and invested in all of their stories. So um, from a character standpoint, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We'll have to circle back though when the sports do gear up to see what you guys <laughs> think if, you, if it passes the four episode test. Because uh, I said, you know, that it needed more sports because it's a sports drama and it felt more like a college drama with athletes at the focus. Mm-hmm. 
um, which I know that's a really weird distinction, but it's what it felt to me in comparing it to All-American, which was very football heavy right at the top. And there's baseball and tennis in, in All-American Homecoming. But for the most part, we're in these dorms with these kids trying to figure out life and like parents that don't tell you that they're not going to pay the rest of your um, college. Um, when you actually go to college first, you find that out. But she's two days into being on campus to find out that she doesn't have room and board paid for it. Um, not nice. a great parent mess. move no it's absolute <laughs> mess but the cw loves mess i mean superman and lois their um, newest episode messy 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 hot the mess angle. every corner hot mess <laughs> yes one was, that you couldn't look away from yeah i was yes. gasping in every moment like even like when i was like looking at my phone to keep up with the live tweets like i'd see something i like legitimately gasp like i i'm not often shocked by things that I watch on television and every there was something in like every act that just blew me away whether it was the going through the wall or you know I love a good like eavesdropping moment in shows that's when we get our good tea and it had one of those Jonathan going off the rails I don't explicitly understand everything that's going on especially with the alley situation because you know me me and superheroes sometimes like I get mixed up with all of the you know, ins and outs of the mythology, but I'm hooked. I'm invested. I'm on board, obviously. <laughs> they went all in on the alley thing this time because the intro flashback was very hard to follow at one point. Um, yeah. I thought I was like, wait, I thought Superman was on. Why is Legacies on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely. That was a hard one to follow. Um, and I thought maybe the alley story would be taking a back seat this, this week because I knew Lucy wasn't in it. Um, but it didn't. It went all in on it. And with the medallion and the shadow dimensions and the alternate says, that's what I find really interesting is that they've tied it to the Bizarro storyline. Because I know some people's complaints about the season so far is that both, it's good that Lois has her own story. That's imperative to a show called Superman at Lois. But her story, her story last season with Morgan Edge was highly tied to the Superman uh, part of it. It was just more of an undercurrent. Whereas this season, they felt juxta like complete juxtaposition they were completely different so it's really really nice to say now that they actually are more linked than we thought and I think now with Lucy coming back into it at some point I, it's nice to see the family drama and the supernatural stuff work so well in tandem with one another um and, and it's a dark story this season so it's nice to see both yeah. dark stories working hand in hand I was just it was a hard that. pivot though yeah, they. I feel like one thing that I noticed, especially in this episode, is that this season two has been a lot darker. Like, there's still lightness to it, but like with the Bizarro guy, he's low key terrifying to me, <laughs> and it just feels so dark. And I feel like a lot of shows tend to do that with season one, where like or season two, when season one was so like well received and loved, they go a little bit too dark in the follow up, and then they have to like swing back up to like balance out the like the the tone um but i i know that i'm out of my depth with superhero and comics so i don't know if this is all canon i don't know we don't have to get into that but maybe it works for some fans but sometimes i'm like i'm kind of miss the the tone that i'm familiar with but I'm, i mean I'm, I'm along for the ride for now season two is always a test season though because people tend yeah. to really like first seasons and then the season two is where we start experimenting i think I might end up being in the minority with this alley storyline. I thought that what they did last this in the newest episode, that was a quite, it was quite the hard pivot. And I was like, wait a second. So now Ali is tied to Bizarro and we're somehow going to come to, like, I'm not sure if they're going to stick their landing there, especially when they had Lois backtrack so much she's like well maybe Allie was right I was like no no, no she's still wrong <laughs> like, <she's, laughs> like her methods are terrible just because like what she's doing like what you thought she was doing has changed doesn't mean that she as a person is correct she's not and I mean Miss Beppo who could play Velma um if we had a Scooby-Doo uh CW series actually sort of told her that when she's like no Allie's is real Allie's ruling the bizarre world and that's really really strange um and we don't know how that's gonna play out down the line. Um, I'm not as interested in that storyline as I am in Bizarro in general, just because I've always loved Bizarro Superman. He's such a weird character and it, it always brings something interesting and new to the table. And as far as the Cushings who are now the Cortezes go, 
I'm not sure I'm here for this adultery plot line because I think it's going to still focus, but I'm here for Miss Sarah's anger and I cannot wait to see her explode. Yeah, totally on board with that. That one kind of came out of the blue for me, but I don't hate where it's gone so far because I feel like Lana and uh, Sarah need to give Kyle a good talking to and that needs to happen at some point. And I feel like we're going in that direction. I just hope this information doesn't get used against them in the mayoral race because then it feels like they're trying to do too much at once. I think we need to keep this family centric because that's where the show thrives. And I'm eager to see where it goes after that. And I, I do want to give credit to um, Jordan because I'm really hard on him because he, you know, that boy rides my last nerve. But he, you know, he, he was fine this week. He didn't really, you know, it was all Jonathan really. Jonathan's losing me. it. He's, he, needs he's, to, he needs to reel it in. Well, he's used to being the, if not the perfect one, the one who's the best at everything. And now that Jordan is the special one. And to be fair to Jonathan, I don't think he would care as much if like the rest of his life wasn't falling to pieces at school. Like if he was on the football team in a position that he wanted to be in and he was actually seeing some playing time, he probably wouldn't care that Jordan is training to be Superboy. But because Jonathan doesn't have anything of his own anymore because everything is facilitating Jordan's growth and everyone's worried about Jordan and no one's really paying attention to him besides what he's saying to Jordan and how he's supporting Jordan, he's cracking. And I mean, I guess that works so he's not a perfect character. I just want him to crack faster and for someone to catch him so we can move on. (laughs) (laughs) On board with that. Okay, so now that we're coming to the end of the show, it is, of course, time for a roast and a toast. We'll start with the roast. I feel like we've been here before. Um, I Today, I am happily roasting. I'm, I usually am like, why do I always get the roast? But no, no, today I'm fully happy to get the roast um, for the CW not going ahead with Green Arrow and the Canaries. As Reed said, I've been holding on to this for a long time. I refuse <laughs> to let it go. Um, don't, uh, don't ever let it go. Don't. <laughs> Stay on the next. Stay yes. On next. <laughs> Bring back Black Canary. And um, we, we've already discussed how I think it was just a bad idea not to go forward with it. It killed the momentum and the future of the Arrowverse. And uh, more importantly, I want more Black Canary and it took her from me. But uh, I think there's still a chance out there that we could see those characters again. We've already seen one of them on The Flash. Um, it was just it was a stupid idea, in my opinion, because there was a lot of intrigue in this and every backdoor pilot offshoot everything they start now. It never quite had the buzz that this one did. So I think, of course, you can say, oh, the sacrifice of Green Arrow and the Canary so that others could thrive. I'm not sure any of them will thrive, Gotham Knights aside. I'm not sure any of them will thrive as much as this show could have. I'm with Reed though, Michael, please stay on the next forever. Cause like my, the hope is that like if this continues to be pushed, they will place these ladies on a show. If not give them their own show, then at least let them write out a season on a show that may be ending just so that they can, you know, complete the storyline that the CW set up. Definitely. And everyone's been calling for uh, Black Canary Laurel to be on Legends of Tomorrow because her sis, her doppelganger sister, is the lead of Legends of Tomorrow and Sarah. So like, it, it just it feels like such an obvious choice. And I don't know why that show has gone on seven seasons without addressing the obvious choice of putting her on that show. Um, <laughs> like make it happen. Yes. To bring this episode full circle, to bookend it, I'm going to toast to Runaway because without them <laughs> biting the bullet, taken one for the team after three episodes i don't think that we'd have the network that we have today i don't think we would have imagine if that dark drama would have been the hit we'd go in a different direction maybe we wouldn't have gossip girl and we wouldn't have gotten teen dramas and it wouldn't have shifted into the direction where we are today so runaway r.i.p it wasn't for nothing so the cw could run (laughs) exactly i was going to say something similar (laughs) yes um that is a perfect ending read so we will (laughs) we will end right here so thank you for tuning into the cw spiral we'll see you again monday i'm sabrina i'm michael and i'm reed bye y'all